would hope that people talk about not that I build an organization, but that I build lives, that I invested in people and in others. We can go much further together than we can alone. Welcome to the Legacy Project. My name is Jim Koppel, president of the Servant Ford Foundation. We're an organization committed to leadership development with a specific focus on service. This podcast and its related activities are about sharing the legacy we have inherited and discussing the legacy we still want to create. Legacy is more than cars, houses, boats, and material possessions that we want to leave to the next generation. Other legacy is about core values and beliefs that we inherited from a previous generation. They are the values that shaped us and defined us. Legacy is also about the values we develop or create that can be passed on or shared with the next generation. We will interview people from various backgrounds and walks of life. Some are famous, some, well, maybe not so famous, and others are simply our neighbors, our friends, people who live ordinary lives doing extraordinary things. Become part of this project by being intentional about legacy, more than just memories, but principles that have guided our lives and shaped our decisions. What is the legacy you choose to create? That's what we want to discover. Today we're interviewing Jay Height, who is the executive director of the Shepherd Community here in Indianapolis, Indiana. Jay has had a fascinating education and uh, great experience politically and as a community organizer and as a pastor. Uh, He's a leader in this community in Indiana, and he has a calling and a mission to really serve the poor and is doing some fantastic work here in Indianapolis. Jay, as we get into this discussion in the Legacy Project, I'm really curious as to who some of the major influences were in your life. Who influenced you, who guided you, who mentored you, who shaped you? Well, I think uh, first it would be my parents. Uh, My father... Uh, never went to college, was a machinist, worked for GM most of my growing up time. My mom sold Avon, babysat, you know, did those things, and um, I was blessed by their faith and how they modeled it out for me. I think they grew up in a generation that they didn't know that they were supposed to do programs, they just lived it. It was a natural outpouring of who they were, and and I can remember as a kid, you know, if someone in the church lost their job, we got to go to the grocery store, and I got to push the the other cart, and if we bought SpaghettiOs for our family, we bought it for the other family, and we just did it. We lived it out, and, and there was no nothing special about it. It's just what you did, and I have a memory when my dad would come and he'd say to my brothers, I'm the youngest of three, boys, go out back, I'll call you when we're ready. And I would see that person from church who had lost their job or a neighbor who had lost a job, and it was mom and dad helping them pay their bills that week. It was just who they were. And so I think those were some of the greatest influences. The man who led my father to Christ, Norm and Dorse, were my godparents and were much more than that. I think sometimes we use those more as titles, but they were hugely involved in my life. And then many key teachers and coaches who invested in me. And, you know, I, I've had a eclectic education process and had great teachers, 
But I think it's those folks, and I look back at those sports coaches, my band teacher, uh, those types of people who put up with an obnoxious, loudmouth kid and and invested in me to shape me. And, and then God just opened up unique opportunities for me to serve that gave me opportunities to gain experience in the political world and to be able to go and have the training that helps me. And it's, I, I take that training not to get someone elected, but to really change communities. So your parents were people of faith? Very deeply, yeah. The coaches, the teachers, those who influenced you as well, were they? Uh, Most of them were, but not all of not them. All of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm thankful for those folks who were not people of faith that still were able to help me and teach me different things. Mm-hmm. So if you were to think about a key lesson from your father or your mother that you've carried into your adult life and carried into your work, what would be the single most important lesson you've taken from them? I can hear my father saying, Son, your reputation's what other people say about you, but the integrity is who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and so at times when we have those who would criticize or say things bad about you and it's hurtful, I'm reminded that I can't control those things and I'm not going to react to those things. I'm just mm-hmm. going to continue to be who I need to be. Starting in seventh grade through my junior year of high school, I delivered morning newspapers. And I would get up about 4.30 each morning and deliver about 100 newspapers on foot. And I loved it. It was a creative time for me. I could be thinking it. I think that had a lot of input or impact on my life. But I would remember I would deliver half of them and I'd come home to refill my bag. And I would see my dad at the kitchen table and... It is just seared into my memory. I would see my dad reading his Bible or praying over his Bible. And my dad taught Sunday school for 40-some years, just a precious man, and, and my mom the same way. But I still see the picture of my dad always starting his day off in the Word, and, and I try to model that to shape me so that I can be just a part of what my father and, and mother were in my life. That's a rich legacy and uh, uh, rich behaviors that you embrace as you grew into adult life and into service. What's the legacy you want to leave your children? You have two children, correct? I have three. Three, that's right. I have a son and two daughters. I think what uh, I would say one of the things that I believe is just a gift of God to my wife and I and my bride that... All three of our kids and their spouses full, uh, serve in full-time ministry, that they're serving and giving. My son and his wife in Africa, my middle daughter and her husband serve with me here in the inner city of Indianapolis, and my youngest and her husband serves in rural poverty area, a church in, in northern Indiana. I think they've always viewed that ministry was with us. We did it together as a family. It wasn't what I did. It's what we all did. And I want to challenge, and, and hopefully my kids have seen me represent Christ in a tangible way and that they can then go live and represent him in a, a fleshed-out way to a world that so desperately needs to see it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of legacy of service um, that they model, and obviously given what they're doing in life, they've learned that lesson yeah. and that they're, they're really engaged in it. 
you know, Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, says the second habit is living with the end in mind. And he has us think about attending our own funeral. And uh, the exercise, you attend your own funeral today, what would people say? If you were to attend that funeral 10 years from now, what would you want people to say? What do you want people to say about you? I, I would hope that people talk about not that I build an organization, but that I built lives, mm -hmm. that I invested in people and in others. Mm -hmm. um, we can go much further together than we can alone, and I, I want that for my uh, neighbors, whether it's someone here in the inner city, a neighbor, or whether that's any number of the people that God has given me the opportunity to journey with. Mm -hmm. I'm a historian, and I love walking through cemeteries <laughs> and uh, reading what's on cemeteries. You've had a varied career. You're a pastor, a teacher. You've worked politically. Uh, what's the one word that, if on your headstone, would you like people to see or to read that describes Jay Height? Well, one word would be a little tough, so I'm going to expound on that. Uh, <laughs> Christ follower, husband and dad, mm -hmm. friend. Yeah, those are good descriptors. Those are good descriptors. One of the funny things in my family, because uh, I have two brothers and two sisters, and when my parents were living, uh, we would, um, towards the last maybe five years of their lives, we had this little exercise that we did. Uh, it was more fun than, than serious, but it was important. Uh, we went through the house and we tagged things that we wanted. <laughs> and uh, whether it was a picture or a chair or a, a vase, it could be uh, a teapot. And uh, uh, the game sort of became, uh, if my sisters put their tags on something when they weren't there, I might move, remove them. Uh, but anyway, we all tagged our possessions. Did you take anything or anything significant from your parents that you, uh, that you value? Uh, yeah. Um, so... After my mother died, four years later, my dad remarried, and he took what he wanted, and he left the house. And so my brothers and I figured we'd do it equitably, so we did a draft. And literally, my oldest brother got to pick what he wanted, then my middle brother, then me, and we did all that. I'm the sentimental one, and so my parents had a very special trip to Israel and Egypt, and they brought back this Egyptian table, and and it's very precious to me. It's a picture that... A, f a good friend of mine who has come back into my life later in life, um, artist, did of the Eastern Gate. Hmm. And, and so it's things that I, when I see, I think of my parents. Uh, I probably wasn't very practical. There was uh, what became a family joke for the longest time. My mom had one of those concrete goose that she would put outfits on that we all hated. <laughs> and so... The day we all took our stuff, that ended up in my truck somehow, and so it became a family joke that we kept delivering it to our each other's houses, and I went over in a snowstorm to my brother's house two hours away and put it in a big pile of snow so that when the snow finally melted there was the goose and we we put it drove to north carolina to put it on my brother's porch just lots of stories where it kept resurfacing and so th there's some of those things that reminded us of things that we didn't really want to uh to be reminded of but uh 
I have a lot to be thankful for, and, and I guess we all shaped by people, and I hope that I can be a shaper like those that were in my life. In your house today, what would be a valuable thing or a cherished memory that you would want your kids to maybe grab? Well, you know, it's interesting. I gave my son my father's Bible, mm. and the first sermon he preached in Africa, he preached out of my dad's Bible. Uh, I think I've tried to do this before, you know, so I don't want them to wait till I'm dead. And so yeah. I went through my tools, of which I'm not good at using anyways, and gave some of my dad's and some of my father-in-law's to each of, of my uh, sons and sons-in-law and my daughters um, so that they could have some tools, but to know where they came mm -hmm. from. Uh, my wife would be the first thing I would grab, and my dog, you know, if we had to get out. But... I'm not sure my wife would go in that order. I think she, she might grab the dog first. Uh, but I, I think it'd be my, my Bible. Because mm. there's so much in it for me. Um, my wife would probably think my baseball card collection. Yeah. You still have a pretty good baseball collection? I do. I, it was decimated during the early years when we didn't have any money. And I had to buy diapers and I would have to sell some. Yeah. But uh, I still have desperately... Look forward to the day I could turn it over a grandson or something. Yeah. The values that you hold uh, and that you've inherited, uh, you have sons and daughters, or you have a son and two daughters. Are the values that you want to transmit to the son different than they are with the girls? I think in today's culture, no. Mm -hmm. I think culture would have stopped some of that, but it's interesting because I see uh, my daughters as tenacious as my son and being advocates. I can remember when my daughter went away to college and uh, she had a dad who could advocate for her and I didn't have a lot of money so I was making sure everyone knew I needed as much financial aid as possible. And she said to me, Dad, I only want to go to the place where my friend can go. Huh. And that girl didn't have a dad that had a voice or that anyone knew and so I used my voice in that but I, I still remember her saying to me, I want, I want this friend to, to be able to mm. have the same options. And so they advocate all in the probably different ways. Mm -hmm. I want them to live in ministry, and they each have their own unique ministry. They're not partners of, you know, my wife's an equal ministry partner with me. We do it together. Mm. You hold a significant position in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, which has a... A ministry called Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. You're the regional director for that initiative. The kinds of programs and projects that are being developed uh, by Compassionate Ministry centers or churches around the country, what does that say or what kind of legacy do you want to breathe into those projects that uh, has the J-Height stamp on it when it's all said and done? Well, I, I want pastors and leaders who know how to exegete their community and figure out what's the best way to connect to their neighborhood. I met a young pastor in a small church on the Ohio River in southeastern Ohio who said, well, you know, we don't have much money and our church isn't big, but every Tuesday night we bring the kids, teenagers from a county home that, uh, for uh, mentally handicapped students, and there's like 10 or 12 usually in the home, and we bring them to our church and we 
have dinner with them and then have a worship service with them. And they love that. And he said, I know it's not much. And I said, no, that's, if Jesus were here on walking on earth, that's where he'd be on Tuesday nights. The tremendous work that goes on in the Navajo reservation that I've had the privilege to see in Delcon. The work of people in Philadelphia at Front Step, where it's, no, it's not millions of dollars of organization. It's just people living out their faith, many times in huge ways in Martin County, Kentucky, where I understand and learn when I go, or the home for the Nazarene in Miami, in the uh, neighborhood there where drugs have seemed to take over, and maybe that's where it got the start, Miami Vice. And, <laughs> and there's yeah. a group of folks, of pastor and his church who said, you know what, we're going to provide a home for the unwanted, the home of the Nazarene. And I got to meet 16 of those guys. And when I preached at a church there in Miami, I had the privilege of having one of those guys who was four years sober, who was going to be ordained in a few days, translate my sermon for me. And I think that's what I want to see. It's just not any program. It doesn't even have to be big programs, but it's people living out their faith to connect to the needs of their community and and uh, and going uh, that's a phrase i want people to go um, and and figure out how best to connect to their neighborhood good well last question i call it the legacy box <laughs> and um ever since i was in high school i have this kind of first aid kit in a metal box that was left over from the second world war that i got from my father but uh, throughout my high school and college and early young adult years, I would put things in that box. It could be a letter, it could be uh, a ring, it could be some kind of important thing to me that reminded me of some important event in my life. Uh, what would be in your legacy box? Pictures of my parents, pictures of my family, my Bible, mm-hmm. and then I hope there would be letters from people who've been changed and who are hope givers because they saw Christ through my efforts. Legacy is something that we often think about in uh, our more senior years in terms of what we inherited and what we're leaving behind. For this new generation, what would you hope for them in terms of a legacy? that they would perhaps leave behind? Well, don't chase after the awards. Don't chase after those types of things that seem so important. You know, I remember how proud I was when I got the MVP for the Little League. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was uh, I was an amazing baseball player. The older I get, the better I get in my own mind. Uh, but those <laughs> things that thoughts we thought yeah. were so important. Right. And then you sell them at a garage sale. 10 years later in your life because no one wants them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a collection of, of plaques in my closet. I don't want that to define me. And, and nor should we seek after that. Sometimes it's, it's seeking after that broken person who has no voice. But you affirm them and love them and maybe it's just a smile. Maybe it's, it's someone you see has a little more bounce in their step because they know that someone is cheering for them. And I think those need to be the legacies we want to leave. I, I've been around those people. You walk into their office, and it's a picture of them with every important person they've ever met on their wall. 
I'm like, I, I don't really care who you met. I've met people, but I, that doesn't define me. Uh, and I don't want people to ever think that it's it's about Jay Heights, about the awards and and the, the resume. God qualified me. I didn't get qualified and then went into the ministry. And he continues to shape who I am and and work on me and some of my stubbornness and my challenges and blesses me with a wife and kids who've been patient to help me. As my wife says, she's still raising me. <laughs> I'm 53 and she's she's got a big uh, big task and I look forward to engaging my grandkids' lives and being able to pour into them and hopefully that they'll see that uh, their their grandfather was a man who chased after Christ. Man, it's a good word. We've been talking to Jay Height, the executive director of the Shepherd Community here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and also the director of Nazarene Compassionate Ministries here in the United States and Canada. And Jay is truly known by his titles, but his titles are not as important as the life he's lived and the character that he's developed and the people that he's served. Thank you, Jay, for being a part of our podcast. Thanks for asking. Our conversation with Jay Height on the Legacy Project illustrates very clearly the diversity of influences that shape and guide our lives and influence many of our decisions. Jay had pastors, he had parents, he had coaches and teachers, all that influenced him throughout his career. Those influences were extremely important intellectually, socially, spiritually. It's a legacy that he'll always cherish and what was created in his life will shape the legacy that he wishes to leave behind. I know the generations that work with Jay, uh, from young people, interns that go into the shepherd community and contribute to that great work, uh, they all influence, are influenced by Jay and appreciate the influence they have had in his life. Uh, these are the kinds of conversations that we need to have to learn from one another, to take us beyond the simple issue of legacy that's more than material possessions, but a legacy of values values that we can transmit to the next generation and values that we can carry into the creation of a new legacy or an expanded legacy. To find out more information about this conversation and other legacy podcast episodes, go to servantforge.org. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and consider leaving us a review. We want to hear from you. This podcast episode was edited and produced by Matt Erickson. The music is by David Hyde. Please look for our next episodes coming up very soon. Remember, you have inherited a great legacy. You have an opportunity to create a legacy. Engage your past to build a future.